0: The Bible says in John chapter 1 and verse 35, they'll put that behind me. I want you to look at this phrase. John chapter 1, beginning with verse number 35. John chapter 1, beginning with verse number 35. Again, the next day that John stood with two of his disciples, looking at Jesus as they walked and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned, say, seeing them, following, said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is translated teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and see. Come and see. The Bible says in Psalm 66, Psalm 66, verse number 5 Psalm 66 verse number 5 I want you to notice the phrase here Psalm 66 verse 5 come and see the works of God for he is awesome in his doing towards the sons of men This was birthed this service was birthed out an intentional effort to invite people who are unsaved and unchurched, and invite them to come and see what God is doing in the hearts and the lives of people. The greatest testimony that you could have is your personal testimony, your fruit, the changed life, the changed lives that you can see in people, what God is doing in people's lives. It's one thing to talk about it, but it's another thing to see it. And this morning, we're going to have two interviews of people who have had dramatic conversion experiences and the Holy Spirit has worked and is still working in their life and they themselves go around telling their testimonies about come and see a God that changed my life and if He can change my life, He can change your life. Amen. This morning, would you welcome to the platform Steve Holland. Would you give a great big God bless you to Steve Holland today. Steve, can you see it over here? So, Steve, um, I, I actually, um, Steve, I've met you through David and Patty Yates, is that correct? That's right. And uh, you met David and Patty at a yogurt shop.
1: At a little yogurt shop in Cabot,
0: Arkansas. And you told them your testimony. I did. And how long ago was that? I guess that's been
1: about, we were talking about that yesterday. I guess it's been almost a year and two months or something like that.
0: So you all had this great conversation at the yogurt shop. Of course, I love to have conversations at ice cream places. I know. And dessert places. And so that's a great place to meet Jesus, huh? I get to work there on Saturdays. Oh, you get to work there. Okay. So anyway, you told them your testimony. mm -hmm. And uh, so uh, David told me about you and your testimony. And so I knew that I was going to have this service, and so I was already looking and praying about who I can invite that has a testimony. We all have a testimony. Yeah, we do. Uh, but I was looking for some particular testimonies, um, and, and you fit that description. Of course, I got in touch with you and got to know you. And I'm grateful. And, and, um, and your testimony is really, really powerful. And so tell us a little bit about your upbringing and, um, and then tell us what happened in your life and what God has done in and through you.
1: All right. First of all, I want to say this. I think the best testimony anyone can have is, I've been faithful. I, I, I think sometimes we look at people like myself and others who actually just made bad life choices and we think, wow, they got an amazing testimony. But it's so important to God, obedience. So if you're able to say, I've been faithful to God, to me, that is the best testimony anyone can have. So I want to give applause to those people who have been faithful to God and never allowed their circumstances to dictate bad decisions. So I want to say that first. I was raised in a Christian home. Um, my parents were a free will Baptist and I grew up in church. Um, when I was about 14 years old, 15 years old, I started having dreams and the dreams weren't uh, typical dreams. They were about me and a guy. So I started feeling like I was different than everyone else. And I grew up in a small town, so it's not like it was something you talked about. So I was really confused about where these dreams were coming from. Um, When I was uh, 18 years old, I started singing with the Blackwood Brothers Quartet out of Nashville. And I sang with them for about a year, year and a half, and left them and went with another group out of Oklahoma, Blackwell, Oklahoma. Um, And... um, All through that period of time, I maintained faithfulness to God. It was just sheer willpower. Um, I I knew that I couldn't be gay; that it was against God, and I I just did everything I could do to to control myself. And, And at the age of 21 years old, I was attending a church in Little Rock, Arkansas, and I went to the pastor. And I'd reached a point as a virgin that I could no longer go on. I felt like I was gonna there was there was just too much involved spiritually. And I went to a pastor, and I said, I'm struggling with something. And the next week, I was kicked out of everything in the church. Um, and I became offended. And offense is very difficult.
0: Um, what, did you tell your, what did you tell the pastor? Uh,
1: I just told him that I was struggling with thoughts of homosexuality. And um, he was a young pastor. I, I can't really blame him. This was 1991. Um, it, it, I really believe that God is raising up a group of people at a time such as this um, when politically it's becoming acceptable and they're pushing that agenda. I have had the privilege over the last month and a half to two months of connecting with people who have gone through the process of, of having the surgeries to become a transsexual, who have come to a realization and a revelation of who Jesus Christ is and they have converted back to who God created them to be, these people face circumstances beyond what we could possibly imagine because they've they've uh, mutilated their bodies and they've taken hormones that have messed up their bodies. And the thing I hear out of every one of them is this, it's worth it. Knowing Jesus is worth it. And, and it amazes me. Uh I'm thankful for what God is doing at a time such as this. Um, I lived, you know, let me just, it's, you can't shut me up once you get me started. I, I lived for 20 years in homosexuality. At 21 when I became offended, I did exactly what Jesus tells us will happen. And, and Jesus says if, if a man saves his life, he loses it. But if he loses his life for my sake and the gospel, he'll find it. Well, at 21 years old, when I became offended, I decided I was going to save my life. I was going to be who I thought I should be, not who God's word defined me as being. And I went out into the world of homosexuality. I lived in it for 20 years. It eventually led me to a meth addiction where I used intravenous methamphetamine. um, And I became a cross-dressing prostitute in Denver, Colorado. Um, In 2012, I weighed 129 pounds. And I'll let him pop that picture up there real quick in case you didn't think I was pretty. There I am, 2012, August of 2012. Is this when you was a female prostitute? Yes, and um, so August of 2012, this picture was taken. There was a lot going on around me spiritually. I was in a wicked neighborhood, and I was involved in the occult. Um, a month after that picture was taken, I was uh, in a cheap motel room in Colorado Springs, and I, I heard a knock at my door at 10 in the morning, and I opened the door and had a gun put in my face and two guys came in and they beat me and, and left me for dead in that cheap motel room. And I remember laying there, all I could think about was living and um, the, the guys beat me, they pulled me off the bed and they set me up and they hit me in the head with the butt of the gun I thought they had shot me. And I was laying on the floor and they covered me up and one guy said to the other, do you, do you want me to shoot him in the head? And the other one said, no, he's going to die anyway and they left. And um, when they left, I woke up. I crawled the phone, I called 911, I went to the emergency room. Um, I was there for about three hours. They interrogated me for a drug deal gone bad and and prostitution. And I finally signed out with no treatment and I walked back to my motel room. On the way back, (laughs) this was the weirdest thing. And this just hit me like six months ago. So there are still things that happened that hit me and then I go, wow. I ran into a hot dog vendor and he was a Jewish man. He sold kielbasa and stuff like that on the street. So I, I met a Jewish man who fed me, which I thought was kind of interesting now that I look back. He, he, he saw me, and he went, my gosh, what happened to you? And I said, I got mugged. I don't have any money. He said, let me give you some. He starts pulling everything out and giving me food. And I walked onto my hotel room, motel room and I got in the shower, and I stood in the shower that night. And this is 22 years into it. I hadn't really talked to my parents my parents were very firm on their faith in God. And what they did was they said they said to me, we don't agree with what you're doing. We don't want to hear about it in our home. You will respect us. We love you, and you're welcome to come home anytime you want, but we will not talk about it. And Steve, obedience is better than sacrifice. That's all the advice my dad gave me for 20 years. And uh, I didn't get that for a long time, but now I do. Uh, so I get home to the motel room and I'm getting in the shower and I'm washing off and I remembered one scripture that was greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world so I'm um, washing the blood off of me and there's blood all over the room and, and I'm just thinking God, I, I've messed up I've, I've, my life's a mess and, and I don't, I've seen things in the world that would blow your mind but I've never seen that power in the church. And your word says, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. So if, if that's true, God, I need to see it. Well, I didn't realize that I had set in motion a promise from Jeremiah 33. Three. And it's a very familiar verse. Call unto me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things you do not know. So here I am, completely wrecked. I call my parents. They rent me a car. I drive home. I'm going to speed this up. I drive home, and on the way out of town, I stop at a convenience store. Now, the next day, when I stepped out of the shower that night, I didn't have a black eye. I didn't have a busted lip. I didn't have a busted nose. And I kept telling people for a year, well, that couldn't have been my blood all over that hotel room because there was no scars on my face. I had a gash on my head where they hit me in the head with the butt of the gun, but that was the last thing they did. There was blood all over this room. And I kept telling people that couldn't have been my blood. It couldn't have been my blood. So I um, stopped at a Walmart to get some water, and I parked in front of the Logan Garden Center. And I thought, I've got to go all the way to the other end of the building. You know what I'm talking about. And I didn't want to move my car because I didn't want to have to find a place to park it. So I uh, walked past two doors and into the third door. And as I'm walking in, there was, I heard somebody say, What the? That's the guy that we beat up yesterday. Not exactly those words. And I looked over and it was the drug dealer and the two guys that held me at gunpoint. And um, I'm looking right at them. And I'm thinking to myself, this is crazy. And I went inside and got security. They took me back out to my car. And when we came back out, they were gone. But I had to stop at a specific Walmart at a specific time, go in a specific door where there were specific people. And it was a pattern that would be repeated throughout the next year, two years of my life. I just hadn't recognized it yet. So I, I come home horrified. I um, get home, and this is pick number two. This is in October of 2012. That's what I looked like. Um, I had started to live on my own in Conway, Arkansas, and God had started working in my heart, and he, what he started doing was saying, you're a child of God. I'm no longer an addict. I'm a child of God. I'm no longer a homosexual. I'm a child of God. And God started telling me, if you change your identity, you're going to change your life. And then he gave me the scripture, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I started searching these scriptures out, and as I did, the word came alive to me. I was arrested in uh, in October for shoplifting at Walmart. I went to jail. I went to N.A., uh, went to classes every day, and they would look at, and they would say, I'm an addict, I'm an addict, I'm an addict. And I started saying, wait a second, I don't have to be an addict. I can be a child of God. So I, I became homeless in, in April, uh, finally reached that point. Um, and I was living on the street. My brother put me in his FEMA trailer behind his house. And it was there that I picked up a King James Bible, just a cheap one at Walmart, and started reading it. And it, it really came to life to me. Um, and in these backwoods with no friends and no family and nobody, it was just me and God. And I gave my heart back to Jesus Christ uh, in May, May 13th of 2013. I gave my heart back to Christ, and, and I started to follow him. Um, this is where the, it all began, really. Um, a month later, my brother talked my parents said to get me a FEMA trailer of my own. We were going to put it in a trailer park in, in Sherwood, Arkansas, and the lady says, I have 10 spots open, but there's one I'd really like you to have. And I thought, man, I need a space today because I'm, I'm living behind my brother's house in a female trailer. She said, well, I'd really like you to have it. So my brother said we'd look at it. I stayed with him for three more weeks and we moved it into that spot. There was a lady living there that she was moving out, but I had to wait three weeks. Well, I waited three weeks, moved into this spot. And when I got moved in, to my right was a drug dealer and to my left was a homosexual couple. And in front of me was a Pentecostal preacher, of Pentecostal church god. And behind me was a man who did Bible studies on his porch with his wife. And they were in the Air Force. So God had my front side and my hind side. And as long as I didn't look left or right, I'd be fine. Now, Now, y'all giggle because you know this is in the Bible. But at that time, I didn't have a clue. I was clueless. I was totally clueless. So God's teaching me his word in everyday life. Call unto me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things you do not know. So the old man that lived across from me, the old Pentecostal preacher was retired and he kept inviting me to go to church with him. Well, I had started kind of going to church with the lesbian couple that lived next door to me and I'd sit in church every Sunday in a mega church and I would think, why do they not feel conviction but I do? What, what is this? One thing I learned is that we don't convict people, the Holy Spirit draws people. So let the Holy Spirit do its work, and you be its hands, feet, and mouth. Be a servant to it, and let it work through you. Um, So this old man did not let up for a month, and I decided I would go to church with him. So I went into this, this was June of 2013. I went to this Pentecostal Church of God. I was horrified. I'm a Baptist kid. I have no idea about all this spitting around and shouting stuff. And I was scared. So I walk into this little country church, and I sit down on the fourth row back, because he sat on the front, and I was like, I'm not sitting on the front. So I sat four rows back, and when church was over, a lady came up to me, and she said, and you can pop her picture up now. This lady came up to me, and she said, hi, my name is Diane Wilcox. And I said, hi, Diane. And she said, now, I'm an old lady, and don't think I'm hitting on you. But I would love to have coffee with you next week. And I said, okay. She goes, I'm not a sweet old lady, so don't get that idea. And I'm thinking, who are you? She said, I just need to have coffee with you. Can I call you? And I said, sure. So on Tuesday of the next week, she shows up. She calls me, and I said, I'll meet you at Starbucks. And she goes, no, I'm going to come to your house. And I said, I live in a FEMA trailer. She goes, I don't care where you live. And I said, I can't win with this woman. She comes to my FEMA trailer. She sits down. I make her a cup of coffee. First thing she says to me is this. I don't want to hear anything about you. I want you to listen to me. And she laid a book on the table. And she goes, I'll tell you about that later. It's a little leather-bound journal book. And she says, I want to tell you a story about me. She said, when I was uh, a child, I grew up, I'm straight out of Compton, she goes, I grew up in Compton right outside of Los Angeles. Back then it was a middle-class white neighborhood. She said my mother was a heroin addict. And she said um, she ended up selling me for a, for a six-pack of beer and $25 to a man who took me to a cheap motel at nine years old and shot me up with heroin. And I became his prostitute. So until f- I was 15 years old, he pretty much owned me. And then I got old enough that I could run away. And I ran away. She said then I started running drugs, whatever I could do to make money. I was living on the streets and having fun, in my opinion. She said, at 23 years old, I got arrested running drugs from Tijuana back to Los Angeles. It was 1963, and they were going to put me in jail. And I was in the Los Angeles County Jail. And she said, um, one night, a man came into the room and said, you've been bailed out, opened the door up, and told me I was free to go. I walked out into the lobby to finish the paperwork. And she said, I sat down and waited, and nobody was there that I knew. And she looks at me, and she said, do you know who David Wilkerson is? And I said, I have no idea. She said, well, I sat there for a while, and this tall, thin man in a polyester knit suit came over to me, stuck out his hand and said, Diane? And I said, yes. And he said, my name is David Wilkerson, and I want to tell you about Jesus Christ. And he led her to Christ, and he said, I want to put you in a program that I started a few years back. She said I was too old for it, but he put me in it anyway. It's called Teen Challenge. I think most people know what that is. And she said he taught me things about God and how to listen to God and how to pay attention to God. And he he taught me to keep a prayer journal, and that's what this is right here. She said, you're probably wondering what all this has to do with you. And I said, yes, ma'am. And she said, in September of 2012, I couldn't sleep and I was up walking the floor and it was just heavy and I started praying. She goes, I finally prayed through. And she looked at me and goes, do you know what that is? And I said, no, I have no idea. She said, you will. I said, okay. She said, I prayed for about three hours and finally it lifted. When it lifted, I was so at peace and I fell asleep and I had a dream. And that's why I have this book here today, because I wrote that dream down. She goes, I only know the beginning and the end. I don't know what happens in between. But she said, I saw a young man, and he was a, he was a male prostitute, but he was dressing like a woman. I had told her nothing about me. She said, God showed me that this person was going to die and that I had been interceding for them all night. And he showed me a face. He didn't give me a name. He just showed me a face. And she said, I realized then that I was going to pray for this person. And then he showed me a baby, and any time God showed me a baby, he meant he was bringing me a new convert and that I would soon meet them. She said, I spent the last eight months praying for this person. And she said, Sunday morning, I heard the back door creak open, and as soon as I turned around, I punched my husband, and I said, that's him. That's the one God showed me. Much like the Walmart where I had to go to a specific Walmart at a specific time and a specific door. There was a much bigger plan happening, and is still happening, and it happens in all of our lives. We just don't pay attention. That an almighty God, a creator of all things, could take the time to be intimate with us in that manner. It's amazing. I had to move from Colorado to Arkansas, get myself off drugs, Get myself out of homosexuality. And and I didn't get myself out of anything. God's Holy Spirit gave me the strength to overcome. Give my heart to Jesus Christ. Move into a specific trailer park, not in one of the ten spots that were open, but a specific spot across from a specific man who went to a specific church where I would meet a specific woman who had a dream about me eight months before I ever met her. That is impossible with man but not with God. It's awesome. Uh, I just want to say today, I'm so grateful to be able to share this because I think sometimes my whole view of John 3.16 has changed because he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life but it was his love that motivated him. His love for me, when I was still a sinner, gave me life. And I I share this in prisons, and I share this in churches, and I say the same thing every time, because it's not for everyone. The story is not for everyone, but it's for someone. And God has prepared a heart here today to receive something, even if it's just the strength to believe that the Creator of all things can be intimate with you in that way.
0: Do you believe? Wow. Steve, um, I think you briefly shared with me that you you got filled with the Holy Spirit. Is that correct? I did. The evidence of tongues? Yes. And, And how has that helped you with your struggle?
1: There is absolutely no way I could overcome without the Holy Spirit. I was I didn't believe in it, so I wasn't like actively seeking it. But once again, God says, "Call into me, and I will answer you." So, uh, in October of 2013, I was I I was filled with the Holy Ghost, and it was powerful. It was a life changing event that gave me the strength and quickened my mortal body to to overcome these things, these temptations. Uh, people always say to me, a lot of people want to argue that you're born gay. I don't argue that point, And here's why. Because Jesus talked to Nicodemus and he said, it really doesn't matter how you're born. You must be born again. You have to be born again, not of water, but of the Spirit. It was a powerful thing. And, and uh, I encourage anyone to... This is what I tell people because I've run into a lot of Baptist people. And I freak them out, I think. But... Uh, it's hard for me to sit down. I don't want to move. No, I'm okay. I'll sit down. Uh, I tell them, the great thing about the Holy Spirit is He's not going to act differently with me than He does with you. We put a denominational barrier on the Holy Spirit. That's a man's box that we put Him in. He's not going to act any different with me than He does with you. And so what I encourage people to do, whether you're struggling with a child who's a prodigal living away from God, or or you yourself have a sin that you're, you're too ashamed to expose to the light because of what others might say, I just encourage you to call out to the only one who matters. When David sinned, in Psalms 51, he said, Against you and you only, God, have I sinned. The important thing here is that God already knows but he longs for you to call out to him. Call out to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things you do not know.
0: Yeah. So what advice would you give to parents who have children who are struggling with this particular sin or maybe they're struggling with this particular sin? What would your advice be to them?
1: That's a hard one because um, I can tell you what my parents did. And I encourage parents to be very firm and stand. When we look at the prodigal son, the prodigal father did not leave his territory, right? He stood at the edge of his territory and waited. And so often, parents today want to go out and accept their children and their sin. My parents, um, I didn't talk to them for 20 years, and my dad said to me, he said, um, many times during that 20 years, your mom and I would think well let's just have him come home and bring his partner and at least then we can see him. he said we would pray about it and every time we came back to the same answer if we allow that we are condoning and we are condemning him to hell for eternity and God told me this is what my dad said to me God restored that relationship with my father because God's a, a God of restoration so never give up and never quit believing but Dad said to me, God told me to be an eternal parent, to practice eternal parenting, not looking at the temporal, because I may never see you again in this life, but I will not be the one that eternally condemns you to hell. That had would have to be a hard place for him to be, and I see that now. But it's, it's up to the parent to stand firm in their faith and to believe, because the child has no faith.
0: So... That's where I'm at. So, one last question, and I think this is uh, very, very important, and you shared this with me, that you had a good home life growing up, and you didn't have, um, wasn't molested, you had a great relationship with your father, so this thing, that, this homosexuality that you were struggling with started when you were 14 or 15, but it had no bearing upon your home life, or something that was done to you. Is no, that correct? That's correct.
1: And, and I can't explain it. I, I believe that, like any sin, it's spiritual. I, I think too often we, we try to put a physical solution on it. And I don't know if anyone, has anybody here ever heard of Exodus International? Okay, a few people. And, and it was a good program when it was around. But what they focused on was behavior modification. They believed if they could change your behavior, they could change the way you think. God says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The Word of God is the answer. And it has to be... The Holy Spirit has to open you up to receive it. I mean, it's... it's. I can't explain it other than that. Um, God doesn't need help reaching
0: you, but He wants help reaching you. So, Steve, how do you feel when you look at these pictures?
1: I, I feel like it's not even me, really. I don't even... I don't even connect to it. Uh, mostly shame. I mean, there are times driving up here I would uh, thinking about what I was going to talk about and and what God was doing and and it really makes me cringe. It it I'm like, can that really be who I was? But it was who I was, and, and outside of Jesus Christ, that's who I would be because we're vile without God. And and, and one of the things that we have going on right now, I think, is we're creating a group of people who are told they're valuable, valuable, valuable. You're only valuable in Jesus Christ. Your only value comes from that relationship. I, I tell people all the time, this is not a choice between being gay or straight. It's a choice between following Jesus Christ or not following Jesus Christ.
0: Steve, it's been a great privilege to have you today. Thank you for sharing your story. I know it's not easy just to be so vulnerable with people, but um, you know you're truly free when you can talk about your story. And so I appreciate you, Steve. Thank you God for coming. You. And we appreciate you so much. Would you stand and honor Steve today and let him know how much we appreciate him? And can we give God glory for his transforming grace today? Amen. As you remain standing, our second interview is Pastor Ramon and his beautiful family is here with us today. Would you give a great big God bless you to Pastor Ramon as he comes? Hi Pastor, how are you doing? Would you introduce your family to us this morning?
2: Yes, uh, this is my beautiful family, my wife Laura, my daughter Belle, and my daughter Jacqueline.
0: Pastor Ramon, it's such an honor and a privilege to have you here today. And um, I've known you for a few months three, Amen. four months. Yes, sir. And we had dinner together and uh, had a great time of fellowship and getting to know each other, got connected. Because I believe that pastors should develop a network of pastors that they can connect with, and that we connected right off. Amen. And I heard your story through, I don't know where I was, it's, it's been a while ago, but I, I heard somebody telling me your story. And I was so intrigued by it that I took your name and number, got in contact with you and of course met you in person, heard your story, and we've stayed in contact ever since. And of course, uh, you are so gracious to come and share your story with us today. And um, so, Pastor Ramon, you pastor a church. What's the name of your church and where is it at? The
2: name of of our church is Centro Cristiano Gran Luz. It's a Hispanic church. It's Great Light Christian Center and we pastor a Hispanic church in an all-black neighborhood in East St. Louis.
0: Okay. All right. And how long have you been pastoring? Going that? on eight
2: years. We started, we planted the church. We started with a broken down building. One lady and two, two kids. Two kids.
0: And you're affiliated with the Assemblies,
2: yes. of, God, is Assemblies that of God. Yes. Assemblies of God. Yes.
0: Now tell us a little bit about your life, your childhood and what happened to you and, and explain to us your conversion experience.
2: Well, uh, actually, uh, like most Hispanics, I was raised in a Catholic household. I Never knew there was anything aside from being Catholic. And uh, I grew up in a dysfunctional family. And when I say dysfunctional family, I don't don't mean to disrespect my parents or say anything like that. It's just that now as a Christian, as a God-fearing person, I realize that when Christ is absent from a home, it makes it a dysfunctional family. Right. It's not until Christ steps into the household that the household is actually fully functional, you know, as it is with struggle, you know, and I, I, believe, I believe that. I believe, you know, if, if we have issues as Christians, imagine without Christ in our household. And I, was, I was raised in a, in a Catholic household, and, you know, uh, I had, uh, I'm the oldest of four boys. We're actually six, two, bo- two girls, and... Four boys, and I actually got to do whatever I wanted to do as a young kid. Um, I was born in El Paso, Texas, but I was raised in southern New Mexico in what's the largest pecan orchard in the United States. And uh, my dad was a very manly man, so he allowed me to fight, do whatever I had to do. By the age of five, I could probably out-cuss anybody in this in, the, in this church, and that 's because I did it in two languages, so I was pretty pretty good at cussing and uh, As I started growing, you know, I started fighting, developing that kind of character and everything and that that behavior only gets you into trouble, and pretty soon you use fear as a tool, and you start using that, and that just leads you to smoking. Uh, By the age of 10, I was already smoking on a daily basis. By the age of 13, I was already getting drunk and drinking. And that only took me to a different level. And then I I dropped out of school when I was 16. And my parents sent me to Las Vegas, Nevada. When I I ended up in Vegas, it was a place where I had no authority. I could drink, smoke, do whatever I wanted to. So I got arrested over there for strong-arm robbery as a juvenile. And then I got out. When I got out, it wasn't long after that that I found myself going to one of the worst penitentiaries in the United States of America. It was a Santa Fe uh, penitentiary. At that time, uh, they had just came out of a riot.
0: How old were you in this picture? Right there,
2: I was, right there in that picture, I was getting out on parole. I was 20 years old. I wasn't old enough to buy beer, but I had already been in the penitentiary. And now when I look back, as, as my brother, when you reflect back on your life, uh, it's sad because my dad raised me till I was 16, but from there on, it was just hardcore criminals that, that finished raising me and, and teaching me. So I was a hardened person. I went into prison just smoking and drinking, and when I got out of there, I, I walked out of prison, a heroin addict. So I got out of there, and, and right away, six months later, I was back in prison for armed robbery. That's, that's me right there. Here's That's another. me going back to prison the last time. Oh, this is the last time? That's well, the last time. How that, many times were you sent to prison? I, I was sent to prison three times. I spent a total of 20 years of my life behind bars. The last time that I went to prison, I spent seven and a half years in prison. It was for, for stabbing somebody, Like I think it was like 17 times. And uh, you, you did what again? I stabbed somebody 17 times. I'm your friend. No, he lived. <laughs> I did it. I did it gently. Oh, okay, okay. No, you know, you know, and, and, and like my brother says, when you reflect on those things, you know, now that I see all the damage and everything that I caused, all the hurt yeah. that I caused in my family and all that, when you look at all those things, I mean, those are things that we cannot change, but we don't live in the past anymore. The Bible says that whoever ever in Christ is a new creature. The old things have yes, passed amen. away. Behold, all things have become new. <laughs> And that's, that's when we start, you know, that's when we start building our life and, and building and pouring into lives are, are around us. I, I did a lot of harm. I did a lot of damage. I did a lot of bad things in my, in my life, and, and I ruined a lot of lives because uh, being the oldest brother, you know, I have a brother right now that, that, that has been in prison a total probably like 35 years. He followed in my footsteps, and it's very sad, but at the same time, I'm glad because now he's serving the Lord. I walked out of, out of prison, saved, uh, and everybody started giving their life to, to God in, in our household. I, I got transferred, I became a gang member while I was in prison. I became affiliated with, with a prison gang from New Mexico. So I got transferred out of state. One time I got transferred to Rhode Island. I was over there for two years. Then I got out on parole and stayed out six months. When I went back, they transferred me out of all places to Missouri. I had spent most of my life in maximum security. I spent most of a a lot of years in the whole, what's considered solitary confinement. The longest term was three years that I spent in solitary confinement. And uh, this last time that I got transferred out of state, I got transferred to Missouri. But something different happened. When I got transferred to Missouri, I got placed in a medium security facility so I was able to lay down my armor you know my, my attitude changed and relaxed a little bit and, and I was able to, to relax a little bit more and that's when I started you know that rough exterior that I had worked to, to build up for, for many years. I actually started you know becoming more friendly and getting along with people and learning how to live with people and God just started working in my life like, like my brother was, was saying you know God says he's he's ordained our days. The thing is that we have walked away from that. One of the things that happened in my childhood is that we moved into a new neighborhood. And when we moved into that new neighborhood, there were Christians there. And uh, I remember one day I was hanging out in the streets. You know, I was a wayward child. And I was out in the streets and I saw this big black car pull up to a house. And I saw a man get off and some guys with guitars, you know. I was already drinking by then, so I'm thinking party. You know, so we go investigate the party. And when we get there, they were preachers and they had arranged the chairs in the living room and in the kitchen. And they 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 read a verse from the Bible and they started singing hymns. And I started the, the man started preaching and and nobody had to interpret scripture for me. Everything that he was saying was hitting me in the heart. At that young age, I was understanding everything. I was about 11. I was understanding. I, I, I was thinking this is from God. You know, so I ran home and I told my mom, hey, hey, they're having services over there. They're having this and that. And you need to go over there, mom. And my dad told her not to go. And when my mom asked her, asked them why, he said, because you're going to like it. So my dad somewhere had, had been touched by, by, by Christianity. And my wife, being the obedient Hispanic housewife, she was over there the next day. So that started our relationship. We started going to church. But I was already poisoned by the world. I already loved the world. I, I loved drinking. I loved smoking. I loved cussing, stealing, doing all that stuff. And, uh, but I never forgot the experiences that I had in, in that church. It was an Assembly of God church. It started out in a house. Later on, they built more to it. But I never forgot that. I never, that. That became part of my life. As a matter of fact, from that point on, I, I quit calling myself Catholic. Because I knew that the truth laid in the Word of God. And, and, and I, I accepted that. And everywhere I went, you know, they give you the little Gideon Bible in, in jail. And I always kept my little Gideon Bible during tough times. I, I read the Bible in difficult moments. I read the Bible. And, and it was through that that finally I ended up giving my heart to the Lord. I went in and out of uh, the hole in, in prison here in Missouri. And one time that I went in there, I was reading a book. You know, they give you testimonials. They give you this book that this chaplain Ray guy writes about people. And I would always read those books because there's not much to do in the hole. So you read even the toilet paper wrapping. You know, you're reading because you want to do something while you're in there. So I I would get and devour those books. And I was reading this testimonial. And it wasn't the best testimony that I had ever read in my life. As a matter of fact, I I, I used to like the testimonies about thugs, gangsters, and people like that. And this was a, a testimonial of a chaplain. And I'm reading it. And when I was reading it, something happened in my heart that day. You know, I felt like that seed that had been planted in my heart so many years ago, that was buried under all the rubble and muck in my heart. It was like a ray of light hit it. And just something happened in my heart when I when I read something in that book. And and my eyes teared up and I closed the book. And I said, You know what, Jesus? I said, I know you. I know you're real. I know you exist. I I cannot deny that. And everything that I've done in my life up to this point, I've done because I wanted to. Not because of the circumstances of my life, where I grew up, how I grew up. Every decision that I made, I made myself. I remembered walking out of church at the age of about 12 and just stepping into a world of darkness, never went back to the church, just got lost in the world. The lower I could get, the better for me. I just got completely, completely lost in darkness. And I remember sitting in that cell by myself and, 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 and telling Jesus that that was my fault. I said, I made those decisions. I, I live up to them. I accept them. I do not deny them, Lord. But I'm going to tell you something, Jesus. If I die tomorrow, and I go to hell tomorrow, and you visit me in hell, I will tell you that you're my Lord, that you're my God, and nothing can ever change that. And after that day, I was never the same. It's like Jesus never let go of me no more. He held on to me, and when I got out of there, I I started looking for, for the Christians. And I have a friend who is the reason that I ended up in Illinois. His name's Ricardo, and he became like my mentor, and he was a Christian, and he started taking me like to where they had Bible studies, and we would have Bible studies out in the yard and everything. I remember the first time that I went and sat down with the a had Like in the movies, you know, you're outside sitting in the benches playing dominoes, and they, they, were, they were out there, but they were having a Bible study on a bench, you know, and you have like a couple of thousand inmates all around you, shirts off, everybody tattooed, and Everybody knew me, so here's Ramon sitting down with the Christians. I still have a complex about being a new Christian. I'm still trying to be an undercover brother, you know, hiding, and and uh, I'm sitting there, and everybody's walking by. Hey, Ramon. I said, hi, hi, you know, and I said, I mean, I, I can blend in. It's okay, you know. Everybody knows that, 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 I'm, that I'm friendly with everybody. I get along with everybody, try to keep the peace, but uh. Then, then then they said something. They said, let us stand up and pray because the yard was about to close. So we, stand, we stood up to pray. And he said something that messed me up. He says, now let us hold hands. You know, and this is a prison and, you know, you don't hang, hold hands with guys, you know. So I was struggling at that moment. Do I hold hands? Do I walk away? What do I do? So I held hands. You know, I think it was God, you know, putting me to the test to see if I was going to Walk the walk and I was willing to be obedient to him. So I held hands and we prayed. But then again, I remembered something from that little church that I used to go to, Josh. I used to go to this little church and I remember that during worship, after the message, they would open the altar. And I remember one time that I was in there, that uh, while they were having worship, probably the last time that I went there, I was sitting in the last pew way in the back with my wife's cousin. And he was, we were back there, and they started calling everybody to the altar, so people started getting up and walking to the altar. And when they were walking to the altar, I, I was I was checking out the girls. And I like, look at that one, look at that one, look at that one, you know. I was just being a knucklehead. And uh, I remember feeling this presence just come over me. Like, just cover me. And I felt every hair on my body standing up, and I I felt like I was glowing, and I couldn't deny it, but that was the presence of God. And I guess God knew that I was going to walk into a world of darkness, but he was saying, you're mine. No matter where you go, no matter how hard you fall, no matter how far you walk into darkness, you belong to me. Because, see, during those services, when I was a kid, when I was, <laughs> when I was a young kid, that I would go to, that, to those meetings, My mom, my mom forced me to go. That's how come I have big ears. She used to drag me by the ears and she would make me go to church, you know, when I started straying, But I remember being in those services and the Holy Spirit would start to move. And that would captivate me. Because again, nobody would, nobody ever ever even prayed for me, honestly. And, And I remember I would be sitting in the pews, I would be seeing that. And I would see people stand up and they would start worshiping God. And then I would see them start speaking in tongues and the Holy Spirit touching them. And then they would start weeping. And I was a young kid and this, this was impressive to me. Because to me, they were a, a, on, a, on a main line to God. This was something beautiful. You know what I'm saying? I understood what that meant. And I wanted to touch them and I wanted to feel what they were feeling at that young age. I wanted to reach out and touch them. But, but I, I, didn't, I, I didn't dare do that. So I, I always had that hunger in my heart to have that communion with God. I always wanted to feel what they were feeling. I was hungry for that. And when I got saved, that's what I started looking for. I ran and I wanted to get baptized right away. I went to the chapel. I said, uh, I need to get baptized. I, I, and they said, well, is your name on the list? I said, no, my name's not on the list. They said, well, then you can't get baptized. And I go, why not? He said, because we're not going to give you a certificate because we already have them wrote out. And then the guy that was running there, the, 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 the baptism says, do you want a certificate, Ramon, or do you just want to get baptized? I said, I just want to get wet. I said, just baptize me. So I said, I don't need a certificate. God knows that I'm doing it for him. God knows what, 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 I'm, what, what, I'm, what I'm, I, I want to do here. So they, they baptized me that day in water. And then I remembered the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So I ran into my cell and I started devouring the Bible. You know, they had this study of of how to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So I would run to my cell and I would, I would, I studied that study for about six months to nine months. I used to, we had one bathroom for downstairs and one bathroom for upstairs for the inmates. And I used to go to the upstairs bathroom and clean it all with toilet paper. Put my shower shoes on the floor and I would pray till my knees were red. I would sit there and pray and pray and ask God to fill me with His Holy Spirit, but uh, it didn't happen. But I would walk out of the bathroom and I had like ten guys standing by by the rail with toilet paper in their hands, were ready to use the the, the the toilet. You know. But I continued. I continued searching, wanting to get spirit filled. And I remember we had those Bible studies in in the yard, and I remember they were that one day uh, the guy that ran the Bible studies asked us. As, to start a Hispanic one, and when we started that Hispanic Bible study in the in the prison yard, uh, I remember one day we were over there giving giving the class, and I would look back because I had an unsettling feeling, and I would look, and I would see him walk around the bench praying and praying, and he was praying for everybody. By this time, I had been asking God to fill me with His Holy Spirit for about a year, and then uh, I, I we went back into our cells, and the next day at lunch he says don't move I want to talk it was breakfast don't move I want to talk to you guys and so we waited for him and he sat down he says everybody in my table received the baptism of the Holy Spirit last night imagine how I felt I've been praying for nine months asking God to fill me with the Holy Spirit and here they are getting spirit filled like two tables down from me what happened to Ramon what about me, Lord? <laughs> you know? So I, I, I smiled, you know, the best that I could. And I congratulated everybody that got spirit filled. I ran to my cell. I closed the door. And I said, Lord, I'm not going to get mad. I'm not going to get mad, Lord. That's okay. You know, when the time comes, when, when you feel like baptizing me, in your Holy Spirit, just know that I'm willing and ready, Lord. You do it, not me. I, I give up. I've read. I studied. I know. One time I fasted for five days. And when, after I fasted for five days, uh, I was fasting to get spirit-filled. And God told me, he said, uh, you did the study? I go, yes, Lord. He says, well, it's a gift. You're trying to buy it through fasting. And I said, it's the hunger speaking, you know. But I felt enough conviction that I said, you know, God's right. It's true, you know. So, so I, I started eating, and the next day is when this happens that all those people get filled. And then I go and they say, so I go back into the room and I I complain to God. But I say, you know what, Lord, I'm just happy that I'm not the same person that I used to be. I'm just thankful for what you're doing in my life. You know, and uh, I walked out and they were sitting in the table and here comes one of the guys that got spirit filled. And they say, hey, Joey, come and tell them how, what happened last night. And he starts giving his testimony, and I'm like, Right on, brother, that's cool, right on, that's nice, you know. And uh, then they say, Well, Ramon, you're not spirit filled, are you? I said, Not yet. I said, Let us pray for you. Brother, when they laid hands on me, I was ready. I couldn't even speak in tongues. I started going like, Ta, 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 ta. People started diving underneath benches. They thought they were doing a drive by, you know, it was so loud. Ta, ta, ta. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just playing, no. <laughs> I, I, just, I just started going, ta, ta, ta. I said, see you later. I ran up to myself. I closed the door and I just started going at it, brother. And Thank God he's been faithful and I have not stopped yet. And I, I told God, when, I said, when you fill me with your Holy Spirit, Lord, if you fill me with your Holy Spirit, you baptize me with your Holy Spirit, I'll never come back to prison again. I got... I got spirit-filled in the year 2001, I got saved in 2000, got saved, uh, spirit-filled in the year 2001. I walked out of prison January of 2002, and I have not gone back to pre- prison except to preach. I walked out, I married my beautiful wife, and you know, and uh, God has been good. I, I started doing street ministry in Juarez, Mexico, and I, I ministered in those streets because of the pers- proximity of the border. So I just started ministering over there. Then God sent us over here, and we started a ministry from zero. And we're about to open a new work a few miles up the road. So God has been good. God has been faithful. And, you know, I just thank God for His mercy and His grace. And His promises are new and fresh every morning. And I just thank Him for the wonderful things that He has done in our lives.
0: So, Pastor Ramon, what advice would you give? What advice and encouragement would you give people who... Um, have a similar background and may be struggling with guilt and shame over their, their past?
2: You know, the Bible says that there we're new creatures. The Bible says that whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. And when you realize those things, when you realize that, that once God steps into your life, that nothing in your past matters, and the only thing that matters is what you do, from this point on in your life. And that's what we have to focus on. I speak to a lot of parents that are struggling with their kids and going through stuff with their kids. But my mother prayed for us. I remember coming home at three or four in the morning and finding my mother on her knees and her couch just praying and, and, and pleading and I would ask her, what are you doing? And I used to get mad when I would see her doing that because I thought she was trying to play with my conscience. You know what I'm saying? And make me feel guilty. So I would, I would be angry, you know. And now I understand what she was doing. Never underestimate the power of prayer. All you have to do is keep your, your children present before the throne of God. Yes. Keep asking. I remember the last time when, when they gave me the biggest sentence, I remember this a lot. I got sentenced and they gave me 16 years in prison, of which I did nine and a half years. But I remember standing outside by, by the police car right before they took me into prison after they sentenced me to 16 years. I remember my mom anointing my head with oil. And you know, I, 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 was, I, was, I was not the type of person that lived easy in prison. I was not your house mouse in prison. I was very active in the drug scene I was very active in, in, in fighting. I was very active in, in, in every aspect of prison life. And uh, I'm here to tell you that I know that it's not because I'm a tough guy, but I know it's because of my mother's prayers that not once did I shed a, a, a drop of blood behind those walls. Not once.
0: You had said that you were raised Catholic. Did your mom eventually convert to...
2: My mom was going to, to, to a Catholic, I mean to a... Christian church during that whole time. But my dad got very sick, and when my dad got very sick, the Catholics started visiting her again. And she they 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 won her over again. You know, they they won her over again through hurt. There was a few hurts in her life, you know what I'm saying, a few things that happened in her life. But I honestly believe in my heart of hearts that she has more of a friendship with those people. And what really that her relationship with Christ is, right. is, is what it needs to be, but uh, I tell her she's a hummingbird. she's the only one I've ever seen fly backwards.
0: <laughs> Amen. Well, Pastor, it's such a privilege to have you today. and um, I,
2: I am honored and I am so thankful to be here, you know, and I, I thank you because a lot of times I think, even us, as, as my brother was saying, there's no testimony than, than a testimony of somebody who's always served God, my wife. Does not know what day she got saved. Was probably like seven when she got spirit filled. And those are beautiful testimonies. And sometimes like him and like me, we have, we have to dig into the rubble of our past. And, and share with people because it's important. Somebody was saying that in every testimony, there's salvation In every testimony, there's healing. In every testimony, there's something for somebody. I remember one time they asked me to go preach at a church, and I went in there, and there was nothing but but older ladies in there. And I'm like, Lord, what am I doing here, you know? I thought I was going to preach to some young men and some young women that, that are lost in the world and everything. I said, and you bring me here to a church full of older ladies? And God told me, he says, you know those ladies have sons that are going through the same things that you're going through. And I want them to know that I am here in every prayer.
0: Would you stand in honor Pastor today and let him know how much you appreciate him today. Amen. (laughs) Haven't you enjoyed these testimonies?